Thank you so much. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Revelation chapter number two. Revelation chapter number two. And uh, really enjoyed that song. I love listening to that song on our CDs and uh, be able to hear that uh, live was a blessing this morning. And uh, we are almost done with the semester. Wow. I mean, it is just around the corner and uh, it's hard to believe we have interview days. We have missions conference next week. And then you guys are headed home for Thanksgiving and going to get some really good food uh, going home, hopefully, and get some rest, and then finishing up one more week online and uh, be able to go right into Christmas. Wow, the semester has uh, just gone by so quickly. I was thinking about interview days and uh, what uh, many of our seniors are going to be experiencing in the next uh, couple days, and uh, I was thinking about how how can I help you to be able to answer some of these questions right? Uh, You know, we have a lot of interview questions, and some of the interview questions are going to be uh, pretty tough. So uh, depending on what you are uh, going into, depending on what uh, what field and what uh, uh, major you are, uh, is going to depend on some of the answers that you're going to be giving some of the pastors who are coming here to interview you. And one of the most important questions that one of them are going to ask you is the question, why did the chicken cross the road. Okay. So if you ever get that question, I am here to help you with the answer, depending on what major you are. If you are going to be interviewed for a children's pastor position, the answer is the chicken crossed the road to volunteer for children's ministry. Okay, that's definitely the right answer for that one. If you're a music major, the answer is to join the choir before the Christmas musical. Okay. Uh, If you are interviewing to be an adult ministries pastor, uh, you should say something like, we don't forbid nor condone road crossing, but we do have small groups for chickens who are traumatized by road crossing, okay? Uh, The maintenance maintenance supervisor would answer, uh, nobody told me I'm going to have to clean up after chickens. Uh, If you were being interviewed to be a senior pastor, the answer is to give in the offering. But if you're just visiting, we don't want you to be under any obligation. Okay. Uh, The pastor's secretary position, did it have an appointment to cross the road? Uh, The church administrator would answer, the chicken apparently did not read the memo that was for Forbidding any road crossing without prior approval. Uh, the deacon would answer, what committee approved this road crossing? Uh, where would the money come from for all of this unnecessary road crossing? Do I have a motion to stop unauthorized road crossing? If you're an evangelism major, the answer is to be a partner with me uh, for the ministry that God has put on my heart. And if you are going into be a youth pastor, why did the chicken cross the road? Your answer should be, what chicken? Uh, What road? If any chicken did anything improper, I can assure you that I did not approve that chicken to cross the road. It was properly supervised the entire time. However, we must realize that we live in a time when chickens sometimes do things that shouldn't. And I will talk to the chicken. This will never happen again. Okay. 
So I hope that that helps you a little bit. And we are definitely praying for the seniors. We are excited about the opportunities that God has given to you to be able to go out into the harvest field and to preach the gospel. We're in Revelation chapter number two this morning. We're just going to read one short verse as we uh, launch into this passage in verse number 29. The Bible says, he that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be able to open up your word once again. Lord, I know that our students have heard many messages throughout this semester, many messages who have, that have touched their heart. Lord, I pray that you would please help us once again to open up our hearts. And I pray that as we hear some of the messages that you gave to these churches in Revelation, that you would touch our hearts and that you would help us to hear what you were telling them 2,000 years ago and what you were telling us right now. And Lord, I pray that you'd please help us to be able to grow closer to you through what we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a teenager, I was not the most athletic. Uh, I was not really a part of uh, sports. I was more into drama and music. And I really didn't have too much interest in sports until my senior year in high school. My, my dad said, well, uh, I, I think, son, I think you need to go out there and join this team. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really have a desire to, but it is my senior year of high school. I want, I want to get the full school experience. And so I joined the flag football team, okay? I mean, we're talking about the best of the best here, okay? We're talking about the elite uh, teams there in high school, and I was uh, very proud to be part of the flag football team. And I remember as we were practicing and as we were going through some of the first few games that we had there in high school, I was I, I noticed something. I noticed that my coach never let me touch the ball, okay? And uh, there was a reason for that. I don't know how you would like to describe uh, my football skills, but you could call me a klutz. You could call me uh, uncoordinated. All of those things really fit uh, my persona and still do. And uh, I, uh, I, I noticed that my coach never let me touch the ball. He kept pu- putting me on defense. And I, I tell you what, I, I, was, I was actually pretty good on defense. I can tell you that honestly this morning. And I would always go and sack that quarterback as, as quick as I could, and I developed a nickname. My nickname was Nathan the Hammer Burt. All right, that was my nickname. And I was, I was pretty good on defense, but the other team started to figure out that this guy never touched the ball, okay? Uh, I, I never was on offense. I never had that opportunity, and that was probably a really good thing. Well, we had one game later on in the semester where uh, we uh, were, were really close. I mean, it, it, we, we were getting really serious in this game. And, and my coach looks at me, and he says, Nathan... I want you to go on offense. 
I looked at him kind of terrified, like, are you sure? Like, I've never, uh, I've never practiced this part of it. I mean, you tell me to run in and pull a flag, I can do that. But uh, anything else is going to be a little bit difficult. And he's like, no, I have confidence in you, Nathan. You can do it. And so I go out there and, and uh, I, I just kind of, you know, stand in the line, you know, and, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And, and we have this play where the quarterback was going to uh, hand me the ball kind of in secret. And I was just going to run for it. Okay, and 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 uh, uh, my coach was like, "You can handle this, okay? You just you just grab the ball as quickly as you can, and you just go, okay?" And, and so I was like, "Okay, I can do that." And so uh, we hiked the ball, and and the quarterback gave me the ball, and it, it, it was kind of a cool feeling, you know. I had never felt that before, and so I grabbed the ball, and and I ran as fast as I could. And I tell you what, the other team had no idea what was going on. I think the other team had already figured out that uh, I never touched the ball. I'm never uh, someone that they're going to hand the ball to. And so, I mean, everyone was just, was just in shock. And I ran as fast as I could. And I tell you what, I ran and ran and ran and there was no one around me. I, I tell you what, the, whole, the other team was just completely flabbergasted by this. And so I was running as fast as I could, and every my coach is yelling, run, 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 and I could see the, 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 the end zone right in front of me, and, and I was running as fast as I could, and everyone was cheering, and then I heard this rip sound, and I thought, oh, man, the end zone is right there. And I stopped, I looked around, and my coach is about to go crazy here because there's no one around me. No one had pulled my flag. No one was even near to me. And there I was, I just stopped right in the middle of the field. And my coach is, I mean, he's about to pop a gasket. I mean, he is just yelling as loud as he can. Nathan, keep running, keep running. What are you doing? And that split second that I stopped and I turned behind and I looked behind me was enough time for the other team to come and to pull my flag. There was something in that game that was holding me back. Now, in that case, I thought that someone had pulled my flag and I didn't realize it, but that was not the truth. And there are things that hold us back in life as well. We live in a generation where there are worldly philosophies and there are people who are not held back at all. I mean, they are just going full throttle, promoting their lifestyle, promoting their agendas, promoting their philosophies. And yet we live in a day where uh, Christians, including myself, have a hard time taking a stand. We, we're held back. We, we don't know how to, what to do or what to say. And we might be a little nervous to address something and we might be a little nervous that maybe someone who even know that we are a Christian and, and there's something holding us back. As we go, turn to Revelation chapter 2, we read about a few churches that are being held back. 
Now, I know we've heard a lot of messages perhaps on Ephesus losing their first love. And we've heard a lot of messages on Laodicea being lukewarm. And, and uh, maybe even Smyrna and Philadelphia, who were the good churches in this list, that Jesus did not have anything negative to tell them. Uh, when he was ta talking to Smyrna, the persecuted church, and he was talking to Philadelphia, the, the church of brotherly love, the church with revival. And yet as we read through this passage, it's very easy to miss the middle three churches. They are, they are Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardis. And all three of these churches have something in common as we read through this passage. And we read through what Jesus himself has to say about them. They are all being held back. They are all being held back by something that is, uh, is keeping them from making a difference in their generation. The question this morning is, what is holding us back from following God and making a difference? Very quickly this morning, let's look at these three churches and why they were held back. The first church I see is the church at Pergamos, the church at Pergamos. Pergamos was an area where uh, we still have a lot of uh, people who visit, and it's actually a United Nations World Heritage Site. Pergamos, as Jesus is speaking to this church, he tells them very specifically that compromise is holding back confidence. That compromise is holding back confidence. Now, Pergamos, we have a few pictures of Pergamos and what it looks like today. Again, it is a United Nations World Heritage Site. It's a place that uh, really the entire world, the international community, looks to uh, for inspiration. Uh, after the fall of Babylon, uh, Babylonian immigrants settled in Pergamum. And so they took the, the Babylonian influences and the Babylonian idolatry and settled in this area of Asia Minor. They had a theater that sat 10,000 people. This was a quite large theater for that day. And they also had a library that was second only to Alexandria. It held 200,000 volumes. It was, uh, it was actually offered as a gift from Mark Antony to Cleopatra. It was a, an, a very impressive library full of the world's knowledge. It also held numerous temples to Greek gods and Roman gods and even Egyptian gods. It was a very pluralistic society. But one temple stood out from all the rest in Pergamos. It was called the Altar of Zeus. Now, amazingly enough, the altar of Zeus was moved to Berlin in the 1930s and was actually reconstructed inside of this museum. The altar of Zeus is what many Bible scholars believe is referred to as Satan's seat as Jesus is preaching and, and giving this message to the church at Pergamos. He says, you are, you are there at Satan's seat. You see, in AD 92, we read of a man named Antipas who was martyred here as a Christian at Satan's seat, at this altar of Zeus. We read about him in verse number 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth, and history tells us 
us that Antipas in AD 92 was martyred here at this altar. Now, this wasn't just a, a, a typical execution as we would think about in the ancient days. There, there was an extremely cruel way of, of, of killing and martyring Christians in Pergamos. There was a brazen bull that sat on the edge of this altar. And that brazen bull was hollowed out. And they would take Antipas and no doubt other Christians and put him inside of this brazen bull. They would light a fire under this brazen bull and they would basically cook this, these Christians alive inside of the bull. There was tremendous fear among the Christians in Pergamos. Even as Antipas gave his life for Christ, there was, a, a, there was a desire to compromise. There was a desire to not take a stand lest they be martyred as well. Interestingly enough, this entire altar was moved to Berlin in 1930 and it became the inspiration for Adolf Hitler. He found inspiration in the culture and the architecture of Pergamum. And even as you study uh, Hitler's rallies, he used a lot of Greek architecture and Roman architecture that was taken from this place. This was no doubt a very evil, wicked society. And yet we see the church at Pergamos having some confidence. Jesus says in verse 13 again that they're holding fast his name, that they haven't denied the faith. And they have this confidence that God has called them to. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God has called us to a life of confidence and even as you sit in Bible college, you are able to gain more confidence and more knowledge of his word. And you're able to grow in your understanding of the word of God. And I hope even throughout this semester that some, one class or two has, has given you this strength to be able to help you to have confidence. But there is something that completely negates the confidence and that is compromise. Pergamos was also the location of a place named the Asclepium. The Asclepium was a sanctuary to the god Asclepius. He was a man instructing serpent and he was viewed as a savior in the Greek mythology. He was the god of healing and people would travel all around the uh, known Roman Empire to come to Pergamos and they would, they would go to this temple and inside of this temple there were free uh, crawling snakes. And they believed that if they would go inside this temple and they would sleep a night in the temple and if a snake would slither across them while they were asleep, that they would be healed and that this God, Asclepius, would, would heal them from whatever ailed them. And I could see the church at Pergamos taking a stand against some of this 
paganism and take, having the confidence against all of what Satan was doing in their society. But there came a time in verse number 14 where we read that they were compromising. Verse number 14, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that behold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, compromise is a necessary part of any relationship. You're learning that in the dorm right now as you have a roommate and you need to, you need to make some compromises. You can't have a good relationship with anybody if you're not willing to make a compromise. You're learning that in the dorm. You're, you're, you're learning that in any friendship that you have and any relationship and any dating relationship of marriage. We always have to have compromise. Compromise is a good thing in any type of relationship. But I am here to tell you that this morning that God has called us to not have any hint of a relationship with the world. We are not to have a relationship with the world. We are not to make compromises. James 4, 4 is very clear. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we are called as Christians to take a stand with confidence and without compromise. Now, now, Jesus mentions these, these few names here in this passage that we need to understand what he's talking about. He mentions Balaam, who is an Old Testament prophet. He mentions that uh, this man Balaam is, is, uh, is also known for his, he's, he was so uh, clueless that his donkey had to talk to him to tell him the truth, okay? And, and uh, Balaam was a man who led Balak, the king of Moab, to uh, try to be a stumbling block to the children of Israel. Uh, God would not let Balaam Balaam cursed the children of Israel. So Balaam came up with the idea that if I can't curse the children of Israel, then I'm going to make God curse them because of their sin. And they sent Moabite prostitutes into the camp and, and the children of Israel sinned uh, with those women. And now God was judging them. It was an ingenious plan on the part of Balaam, an evil plan for him to fall into. And, and uh, Jesus is referring to this, this occasion where Balaam has caused the people of God to sacrifice unto idols and to commit fornication. He also refers to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we don't know too much about these, uh, this group of people, but we do know earlier in Revelation chapter 2 that Ephesus is commended for casting them out. So Ephesus is commended that they are not keeping the Nicolaitans. And now Pergamos is being, uh, being uh, rebuked for keeping them in. This group was associated with bringing idolatry and fornication into the church, just like the doctrine of Balaam. It could also be identifying, uh, they would also be identifying themselves with Nicholas of Antioch, who is also mentioned in Acts 6, 5 as one of the first deacons. History, church history tells us that he fell from the faith and might have become one of the leaders of this group. Uh, it also could refer to just simply the Greek form of the Hebrew name Balaam and referring back to this doctrine of Balaam, linking the doctrine of Balaam and his push for immorality in the Jewish camp in the book of Numbers. Whatever the case is here and the identity of these people, we realize that Ephesus is commended for casting them out. I am going to separate from them. And Pergamos is being, uh, being reprimanded by Christ because he, they are keeping them in. 
There will always be false doctrines that present themselves as revolutionary ideas, but they are grounded in doctrinal errors from the past. You might read a blog, you might uh, hear of this new name, and they might be teaching you something that mm, might just, it's just something inside just shows that ah, that's, that, that, that's a little different. I'm not sure about that. And as you research that idea or that philosophy, and as you do your research, which I hope you will do, you start to realize that those philosophies and the people who are becoming proponents of them, these, this isn't a new idea. This is an idea that has always been around and, and is being addressed in the word of God, even in the first century. You see, we must be careful that we don't hear something maybe on social media that sounds really, really good. It's a nice little phrase or a nice little quote that we can, you know, retweet or share or like. And wow, that sounds really good. I've never thought about it like that. But I encourage you to think about the person who is saying it and to do your research on what type of person that is and what his mentors or who his mentors are and what his philosophies are. Be very careful that you are not falling into a philosophy that seems kind of new and fun and a different way of looking at things when in fact it is rooted in doctrinal error. We cannot compromise the word of God. We will not compromise on the fundamentals of the faith. We will not excuse homosexuality in the church or social drinking or social justice. We are to take a stand against the philosophies of this world. And we read of a church here in Pergamos who was not willing to Take that stand. And Jesus tells them that if you will not get this right, I am coming and I will snuff out the candlestick. I will take this church out because it is not serving the purpose that I have given to them. They are not being a light in this world. They are hiding their light under a bushel. And I ask you this morning, are you falling into that trap? Is there a situation at work or a situation in the world where you're tempted to compromise? You're tempted to to excuse things just like Peter who stood at the fire warming himself and they said, are you, are you a Christian? Did you follow God? And Peter three times denies Jesus and we look at that passage and we say, I can't believe that he would ever do that. But what is going on in your life? Is there a time that you are denying Jesus? Is there a time that you are compromising the truth that you have been taught from God's word? Secondly, I see another church this morning Thyatira. Thyatira is mentioned next. Thyatira shows us that selfishness holds back sentiment. Selfishness holds back sentiment. Now, Thyatira is also mentioned in the Bible as uh, the place where Lydia was from. Lydia was a, uh, Paul's first convert in Europe in the city of Philippi. And, and Lydia was a wealthy woman who was from Thyatira. Thyatira was a, a, a very successful city. It was a city that had a very prosperous economy. And it's very interesting to understand that Thyatira is known in history as the first place where we read of a union, a workers' guild. Now, these guilds were very different than what we would think of today. They were very significant in the fact that if you wanted to have a career in Thyatira and you wanted to be successful in that career, then you had to be a part of this workers' guild. 
The problem with that is that at the beginning of all of their meetings, they would, before they would hold any business, they would worship their patron god or goddess. They would sacrifice to this god or goddess and they would actually perform uh, the uh, wicked rituals in worship of this god or goddess right before their meetings. The Christians in Thyatira had a choice. Are they going to participate in this guild, in the worship of this false god, in this blatant sin, or are they going to have to give up their careers? Now, Jesus commends them for their sentiment. He says that you are, you are doing a great job with your showing the love of Christ. Look at verse number 19. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. He says, you guys are doing really well at showing love, but you're, something is holding you back. Something is keeping you from understanding the true love of Christ. What is that in verse number 20? Notwithstanding. I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. God has called us to a life of love. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. But we must realize this morning that our culture has changed this word. I was shopping yesterday to try to get some uh, Christmas gifts purchased, trying to get ahead of the game there. And, and uh, we were, we were uh, walking through the store trying to find some, uh, some gifts that we could give. And, and uh, we were looking at some T-shirts that uh, we were thinking about giving to my sister and her boyfriend. And uh, we were trying, it's, it's very hard to uh, shop for your sister's boyfriend. It's just awkward. And I, 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 I just don't know what to get. You know, I don't know what his interests are. And like, well, you can't go wrong with a t-shirt, right? So uh, we go to the t-shirt section. And there are all these t-shirts, you know, and all the different, you know, logos and all the different sarcastic sayings, you know. And, and I realized something as I stood there trying to find a t-shirt, trying to find a Christmas gift, that there were so many rainbows. There were so many words that said love. Love is love. And all of these different definitions of love just, just shouting at me in a store, not, not even a, a place of sin, just, just the marketplace, if you will, just trying to find a t-shirt that is not promoting an ungodly lifestyle is very difficult in our day to day. Why? Because, because love is being changed. And we are called to a life of sentiment. We are called to a life of love, to show love to every individual. But we must be careful that that love does not turn into a self-centered love. That that love is not turned into selfishness. You see, Jesus rebukes the church at Thyatira, not because of their love, not because of their service to others, but because they are taking it too far. They are falling into a wicked lifestyle. They are falling into sin. They are falling into fornication and sacrificing to idols. 
We don't know who this Jezebel was in Thyatira. We don't know if this is her real name or this is a, a name that just describes what she is doing. But we do know that she was pr- promoting in Thyatira the same sin and wicked lifestyles that are being promoted in our churches today. But let me ask you, you're going home for the break in just a few weeks. You are not going to be in an atmosphere like you are right now. You're not going to be in the atmosphere where you, you, can't, you can't hold hands with your girlfriend or you can't, you can't do something that, uh, on this campus that uh, might be unpleasing to the Lord. You're going to be in a different scenario. You're going to be in a completely different world. And let me encourage you. Don't let the rules of this college just dictate your behavior while you're here. Let me encourage you that when you are alone with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you're, you're just surfing the internet at home and no one is looking and, or, or there's a scenario where you have a temptation, let me encourage you to think about the church at Thyatira. These Christians compromised. These Christians redefined love. And Jesus tells them, you better get that taken care of or I'm going to come and take care of it for you. Be very careful as you go home for the break that you do not think that you are experiencing some type of freedom from the rules of college, but that you are abiding by the clear commands of Scripture. This was an issue that, that the first century was dealing with over and over and over again. Christians who were trying to compromise, Christians who were trying to be selfish in their love and trying to redefine this term. Even in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And I don't know what type of sin is your sin that you struggle with, but I am here to tell you this morning that you need to make the decision right now as you are in a godly place that you will not fall into a sin that is going to ruin your life, that is going to destroy your future ministry, that is going to destroy everything that you have given to God up to this point. Let me encourage you to not be the Christians of Thyatira and not to be held back from uh, sentiment because of selfishness. Thirdly and lastly, this morning, we have a third church to look at. Pergamos, well, that compromise really hurt them. Well, Thyatira, that selfishness, that sensuality in their lives, that, that hurt them as well. But then we come to Sardis in chapter number three. Sardis is an interesting church because Jesus has nothing good to say about this church. There is nothing good that Jesus can find about this church. We learn the, the, the you know, minute manager, you know, we got to find something good before we say something negative and, you know, trying to, you know, make sure that we are communicating things in the right way. Well, Jesus couldn't even find anything positive to say about the church at Sardis. Sardis was the location of the temple of Artemis or Diana. This was one of the seven largest Greek temples. It was double the size of the Parthenon in Athens. 
It was discovered that uh, they could separate silver and gold in a way that uh, allowed Sardis to invent modern currency. They completed a massive gymnasium in the second century that uh, was rebuilt. We see that they gained success because they had five different Greek highways that were going all the way through Sardis. And it was, it was, always, uh, it was always a bustling place. And it became a, a saying in the ancient world, even before the Roman Empire and uh, plenty of hundreds of years before this was written, that to conquer the Acropolis of Sardis was a term in ancient days that was meaning to achieve the impossible. Here's a picture of the Acropolis from the top of the mountain. It, it was impossible in ancient days to conquer the Acropolis of Sardis. Until something changed all of that. We read in history of a man named Cyrus the Great, the first Persian uh, conqueror. And he comes to Sardis and he, he is besieging the city. And they're having a really hard time doing it. Again, this was practically impossible in ancient days to, to conquer the city of Sardis. And, but Cyrus the Great was willing to give it a try. And so he besieged the city and he was trying to figure out how he could conquer this city. Well, history tells us that one night there was a soldier that was on top of the Acropolis, on top of the walls, and he was walking his rounds, and uh, he, it was very late at night, and he dropped his helmet. You could picture just at, on this picture here, you drop your helmet, I mean, that, it's, it's all the way down there, okay? And he looks down, and I could see the, you know, the soldier kind of watching it fall and fall and fall, and he's like, oh, no. My commander is going to be really upset about this. So the soldier knew of a secret uh, passageway that led him down to where the helmet had fallen. And in the middle of the night, he decided that he was going to leave his post and he was going to go through the secret passageway and he was going to come out at the bottom of the Acropolis and he was going to get his helmet and everything was going to be good. Well, unfortunately, Cyrus's soldiers were watching the entire thing. And they saw him drop his helmet and they thought, well, that's interesting. And then they see him come out of this secret passageway to get his helmet. And because of the carelessness or the apathy of this soldier, the entire city of Sardis was conquered that night because he did not care about the greater picture. Cyrus the Great was able to conquer that city very easily because of that secret passageway. Sardis is, is uh, rebuked here in chapter number three for apathy. Apathy holds back action. We read in verse number one, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. We live in a very apathetic generation. We live in a generation that, just like that soldier, did not understand the significance of their decisions. And I hope that as we go back to the break and we go back home, I hope that we will make sure that we are not being apathetic to what we have heard in Bible college thus far.
I understand you have been hearing message after message after message. You hear, you hear five messages a week in chapel and you hear three messages a week in church. And that doesn't include all the special events and all of the devotions in the dorm. And you are getting inundated with the word of God. That's what Bible college is all about. But it's very easy to become hardened to that. To have an attitude, well, I've already heard a message from this chapter or I've already heard about this or this isn't anything new. And it's very easy if, if you're in homiletics class to start critiquing a message instead of letting it speak to your heart. There's a danger in Bible college that you are going to backslide. And let me encourage you, if you are feeling a twinge of that apathy in your heart, get that taken care of now. Because when you go back in the break, your parents and your family and your pastor are looking towards you. They are, they are expecting you to be able to help and to serve and to uh, be able to be an encouragement to the people around you. And you're not going to be able to do that if you are apathetic to the things of God. Each of these churches were encouraged to hold fast. Revelation 2.13 to Pergamos, I know thy works, which thou dwellest even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. Revelation 2.25 for Thyatira, but that which ye have also hold, already hold fast till I come. Revelation 3.3, 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. The question is this morning, over the break, what are you going to hold fast to? Are you going to let compromise and selfishness and sensuality and apathy hold you back from the confidence and the sentiment and the love and the action that you have been able to experience these last few months. Revelation 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and the application of it. Lord, as we look at what these three churches struggled with in that first century generation, we see such a similarity to our lives today. Lord, we live in this society that is changing definitions and pushing for their own agendas. And yet the church of God is compromising. We're, we're going along with it. We're becoming sensual in our lifestyles and in our thinking, in our way of life. We become apathetic. 